0: always, thank you for tuning in today to our Wednesday broadcast of Abiding in the Word with Dave Love, Senior Pastor of Calvary Castle Rock. Today, we will be continuing our study in the book of 1 Samuel. So let's join Pastor Dave now.
1: This thing that you've done is not good. As the Lord lives, you deserve to die. Because you have not guarded your master, the Lord's anointed, and now see where the king's spear is and the jug of water that was by his hand. This is amazing, dramatic evidence. Uh, a lot like the evidence of, of the corner of Saul's robe. And yet, Abner is the commander of the army. He needs to be the one. He's the one that protects the king. He is responsible for the king, and he's literally let his guard down. And so David has, again, the evidence... Here's a spear, here's a jug. To which Saul, when he looks around, he can see his spear is gone. He can see the jug of water is gone. And so there's tremendous evidence there that Abner did not protect his king. Now, Abner, we're told, um, is the son of Ner. Ner was Saul's uncle. So Abner is actually quite a bit older than Saul. And uh, and so Abner's position as Saul's right-hand guy here. Being the commander of the army is pretty significant because if you recall, if Abner is a commander of his army and David, after, he's, after he kills Goliath, and then he goes out and he's winning all these battles and stuff, it looks to me at that point that if David had continued and Saul didn't go all crazy and everything and, and run David out, that David would eventually have been the commander of Saul's army. He was an armor-bearer, but he wasn't the commander of the army yet. And so he would have eventually replaced Abner. So if you think about it, this could be a reason itself that Abner also wants to see David dead. Because he doesn't want to be replaced by him. And he almost was replaced by him. And so David calls out to him, As the Lord lives, you deserve to die. And so... Um, then Saul knew David's voice and said, is that your voice, my son David? And David said, it is my voice, my Lord, O King. I find this interesting. Remember before he would say son of Jesse and things like that. And then after he repented, he called him son of David. And this time around, same thing. Instead of saying son of Jesse, he calls him the son of David. And so he he calls him my son. Is that your foot? My son, David. And it's like, He's, he's already conceived from the very beginning. He, he, he's trying to empathize with him. He's trying to reach out to him like everything's okay, but it's not okay. And David said, it is my voice, my Lord, O king. And he said, why does the Lord thus pursue his servant? For what have I done or what evil is in my hand? Now, therefore, please let the Lord, the king, hear the words of his servant. If the Lord has stirred you up against me, let him accept an offering. But if it is the children of men, may they be cursed before the Lord. For they have driven me out this day from sharing in the inheritance of the Lord, saying, Go serve other gods. This is is intense. David's message to Saul was actually a plea uh, for him to return to the Lord. If God has led you to pursue me because of some sin in my life, then I'll offer sacrifice. I'll ask forgiveness. Let's get this matter matter settled, is what he's saying. But if men are the ones that are causing you to pursue me, if they're filling your head with all sorts of stuff, then let them be accursed. And so he's basically saying to Saul, which is it? If I've sinned against you, tell me. I'll make an offering to the Lord. We'll settle this matter once and for all. I'll even ask for your forgiveness. I ask forgiveness for God. Uh, Just show me what it is that I need to do and I'll do it. But if this is from men, let them be accursed. And so he says in verse 20, so now do not let my blood fall to the earth, but for the face of the Lord. Don't let it happen, Saul. Don't let it happen. For the king of Israel has come out to seek a flea as one who hunts a partridge in the mountains. A flea is very insignificant. There's so many more important things, Saul, that you should be doing. I'm very insignificant is what he's saying, and he's being humble here. He's saying, don't waste your time doing this. But his other metaphor here is a bumbling way in which they're trying to catch him, like a partridge in the mountains. It is a worthy, one, one scholar wrote, it is a worthy of remark that the Arabs observing that partridges being put to flight several times soon become so weary as not to be able to fly. They in this manner hunt them upon the mountains until last, they could knock them down with their clubs. It was in this manner that Saul hunted David, coming hastily upon him and putting him to flight from time to time in hopes that David would tire and that they would eventually catch him, is what he's saying. He says, don't do this. It, it, it's a bumbling effort. Here, I ran into you in the cave. Here, I, I saw you coming a mile away. You think that by constantly pursuing me, I'm going to tire and you're finally going to catch me, is what he's saying. And then verse 21, then Saul said, "I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will harm you no more, because my life was precious in your eyes this day. indeed, I have played the fool and erred exceedingly." Yeah, he has played the fool. Because in Proverbs 26:11 it says, "As the dog returns to his vomit, so does the fool repeat his folly." You got that visual? Isn't that lovely? Anybody have a dog? Anybody not see that before? It's like, dude, what is wrong with you? And God's just saying, and so is a fool who repeats his folly. You keep going back to it, you're like a dog who returns to its vomit. That's pretty sick. And God's saying, you're sick if you keep on doing the same thing over and over and over again. is what he's telling there. 2 Corinthians 7.10 Paul says this, for godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation. If Saul is really repentive here, it's going to be seen in his actions. If he's really sorry here, I have sinned, words don't mean anything if they're not followed by a changed life, a changed plan of action. But because he keeps on going after David after he says, I've sinned, I'm sorry, and then he goes after, I'm, uh, I've sinned, I'm sorry, and he keeps going after him, then he's not repentive. And if he's not repentive, then he's truly not sorrowful. And that cannot lead to salvation. And that's what, why Paul says, for godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. And so Saul's confession is empty because it's not followed up by the right actions that repentance speaks of. And so um, we're going to see here in, in 1 Samuel 27, verse 4, he's still pursuing David. It's an empty confession, and he plays the fool, he says. We see him playing the fool when he ran ahead of the Lord. That's another way you can play the fool, when you run ahead of the Lord. And in uh, 1 Samuel 13, where he's waiting for Samuel to show up so, he could do, so Samuel could do the sacrifice for him. What does he do? He does it himself. He runs ahead of the Lord. That's foolish. That's foolish. And so he delivers that unlawful sacrifice. And then we, we see him comp, uh, fail to completely obey. For some reason, he thinks partial obedience is obedience. Just so you know, partial obedience is never obedience to the Lord. And if you think that partial obedience is okay, then you're playing the fool. You're playing the fool. We're going to see that he begins to seek guidance from the world or from the devil himself at the Witch of Endor here in chapter 28, that Lord willing, we'll get to next week. And then we are going to see that he has an opportunity to repent and really admit he's wrong, and yet he doesn't do it. He doesn't do it in chapter 24. He doesn't do it here in chapter 26. And so it's really foolish when you know you're wrong not to truly repent and ask God's forgiveness and change your behavior. That's foolishness. Absolute foolishness. But we do this all the time. And in Numbers 32, 23, God's word is very clear. Your sin will find you out. That should scare you to your very core. Keep playing with that fire. Because you're going to get burned and everybody's going to know it. There, there's patience there where God's not saying every little sin you've done will well, make known to everybody throughout the world. No, he's not saying that. What he's saying is that you already know what I'm asking you to change. You already know what it is I'm calling you to do. You already know I told you to stop doing that. I'm going to be patient with you. But if you don't, your sin will find you out. It's a good verse for if you're a parent to have your kids memorize. Your sin will find you out. I loved it when my kids are really, really little, you know, And for some reason, they just don't know that sound carries for some reason. That doesn't click in until they're like eight, nine, sometimes ten. They just don't get it that sound carries. Because they don't see you, they think you cannot see them. And because they don't hear you, they think that you can't hear them. Do not eat any cookies in the kitchen. It'll spoil dinner. Do not eat these cookies here in this jar. You you go out of the room, you hear them pull up a chair, you hear them clank, you know, boom, get their hand to the cookie, they're making all sorts of racket. They eat the cookie, come back, did you have a cookie? No. Yes, you did. How'd you know? Because your sin will find you out. And for some reason, your little pea brain just hasn't grown to the point where you understand these things. And you just let them know that, you know, God showed me. And he did. And they're going, whoa, your sin will find you out. I love it when little kids get caught in the action. You could, you could see them. They don't see you. Poof, they hit their sister or something like that. Did you just hit your sister? No. Yes, you did. No, I didn't. Yes, you did. I saw you. What? <laughs> you know, they, your sin will find you out. Well, God sees everything. He hears everything. You don't think he knows? He knows, and he'll bring it to the attention of those that need to know. Your sin will find you out. And we see that with with Saul time and time again. He's doing evil to the point where it's recognized with his own soldiers there, and he cries out like he did in chapter 24, I have sinned, you know? He tells him right here, I have sinned, I've acted foolishly. He says it in front of all his men. Everybody knows this is Saul's sin. He has been found out. And yet he continues to play the fool. Verse 22, and David answered and said, Here is the king's spear. Let one of you young men come over and get it. May the Lord repay every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord delivered you into my hand today, but I would not stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. That's mercy. Somebody... Is within your clutches. And you can exact judgment or not. And if you choose not to, that's mercy. That's mercy. You choose to forgive, you forgive. This is the exact principle that Jesus spoke about. With the same measure you use, it will be measured back to you in Matthew seven two. Luke six thirty seven says it this way condemn not and you shall not be condemned. Forgive and you'll be forgiven. Given, it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together. Running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. I don't know about you, but I want grace. I want mercy. I want forgiveness. And you know, in order for me to have that in my life with other people, I have to be gracious and merciful and forgiving to others. And if I don't, that's the measure and standard that God's going to use with me, with other people. I don't know about you. I I I never pray for justice because I don't want justice in my life. I pray for mercy and grace. I pray that truth be known, yes, but that mercy and grace will accompany it. David wants the like the industrial size of God's mercy and forgiveness. Uh, For himself. And so, because of that, he gives the industrial size of mercy and grace and forgiveness to Saul. Because David is going to need that mercy and grace and forgiveness over that whole, you know, Bathsheba thing. And he's going to need that mercy and grace and forgiveness of just chapter 27 that we're going to hit on here in a moment. He does some pretty wicked things, pretty bad things. And so he gives it out, and we're going to see in his life he's also going to receive much of this. Because this is how he's given it out. And then in verse 24, And indeed, as your life was valued much this day in my eyes, so let my life be valued much in the eyes of the Lord, and let him deliver me out of all tribulation. Well, he doesn't, but he'll walk with him through it. Then Saul said to David, May you be blessed, my son. David, you shall both do great things and also still prevail. So David went on his way, and Saul returned to his place. So Saul invites David to return, but David doesn't take him up on his invitation because he did that the last time as well, and boom, he came after him again. So he doesn't trust Saul at all, and that makes sense. Um, After this, this is their last meeting together they ever have. They're never going to see each other again after that. So, with that, I want to go to chapter 27. And David said in his heart, we have a problem right there. David said in his heart, now I shall perish some day by the hand of Saul. What's speaking here? Is this wisdom speaking? Or is this fear speaking? Is this somebody who has their eyes on the Lord speaking, or is this somebody who has their eyes on themselves speaking? Now I shall perish some day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me that I should speedily escape to the land of the Philistines, and Saul will despair of me and seek me and, and to seek me any more in any part of Israel, so I shall escape out of his hands. I shall perish, he says. But that's the fault of David for believing that, because this comes from not trusting God's promise of being anointed king over Israel, that David is going to have a throne someday. Either he believes God or he doesn't, and at one time he did. And for whatever reason, his eyes are on the circumstance, and and he begins to, well, believe in his own wisdom, and he's scared, and he starts to trust in his flesh instead and so, he forsakes a place where God had placed him, where he gave him assurance and experience of his protection there. He saw time and time again, even with he, when he was with Samuel and Ramah, how Saul came after him, and then they all start prophesying there. Stopped dead in their tracks. Three, sets of, three groups of soldiers, and then Saul himself coming to try and get him there at Ramah. And each time, God, through his Holy Spirit, stopped him supernaturally. And he's still running. He has this encounter in the cave there. Who brought that to happen, God? He was given word that Saul is coming, and and he comes and checks it out, and he's able to walk into his camp. Who allowed that to happen? God supernaturally allowed that to happen. So what does he have to fear? But he does. Because we all sometimes get overcome by the gravity of the situation, because of the circumstances that are before us, And when we start at that point making decisions based on fear, man, it's a domino effect of how quickly you can fall away from God. How quickly you can stop hearing from the voice of God. It's a quick domino effect, and we're going to see it here with David. It says, Then David arose and went over with 600 men who were with him to Achish, the son of Maok, king of Gath. And so, David David tells himself to do what he feared in 1 Samuel 26, 19. For they have driven me out this day from abiding in the inheritance of the Lord, saying, go serve other gods. And guess what? He is going now out of the land of Israel, out of the inheritance of Israel where they worship other gods. He's the one that does it, though. He's the one that does it. This temptation, these words in David's heart have been working their way into him for quite a while. And so he considers something he would never have considered before. Leaving the land of God's people, the land of promise to go and live among the Philistines. And so he does. So David dwelt with Achish at Gath, he and his men. Each man with his household. So there's more than 600. They have their families with him now. David with his two wives, Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the Carmelitess, and Nabal's widow. And so each man with his household. So that's quite a bit. And it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, so he sought him no more, which means he was still seeking him. So even after that last encounter, okay, you can come back and everything else, he's still seeking David. So he's still lying, and he's still playing the fool. Now I want you to take special note here, because I believe that we are not to be ignorant of Satan's devices, the Bible says. And I do believe that this is one of Satan's Uh, Modus of Apparenda, I think that this is how he operates. Is that he will scare you into making the easiest decision to take care of your flesh. He will scare you so you'll make the easiest decision in regards to your flesh. And so, he will do whatever it takes So you will see, if I do this, then the pressure will be off. The pressure of my flesh will be satisfied, and I'll get a rest. I finally have peace that I haven't had before. David here gives into the, well, Satan's method here, because he's scared. He goes to Gath. What happens? Verse 4 Saul sought him no more. The greatest pressure on David, being caught by Saul, is now gone. It's gone. The battle is called off. The pressure of Saul chasing David is now over. The enemy, Saul, withdraws from chasing David. And what seems like for peace for the moment is really only a stupor that is going to eat away at David's soul. On the outside, oh finally can I take a breather. But the peace that you get momentarily for making a decision in the flesh is not the same peace you receive when you fight the battle, endure the battle, and overcome the battle. That's a completely different peace. You can get A momentary peace as you're tempted with alcohol, and alcohol has always been your nemesis. You can get a temporary peace in the way of having alcohol, takes the pressure off. I'm really craving that. And then when you take it in, your body no longer craves it. And guess what? You have a momentary peace. But it comes back at a cost, and the cost is huge. The cost is huge. When you move into the enemy-occupied territory, when you come over to Satan's side, guess what? Satan will get off your back. The pressure, the temptations he throws you, you've taken the temptation now, now he doesn't need to throw it to you anymore. And you are going to be free for a time, but there's going to be a tremendous cost to it. David is able to go over to um, the king of Gath And uh, to Achish there in Gath. And guess what? That pressure he's feeling of being chased is gone. He has a temporary peace there. No question about it. But at what cost? It's going to be to the cost where he's about to do some very atrocious things. He's going to have to lie to the king of Gath. And he's going to be brought to a place in chapter 29 where he's about to go in battle with the Philistines against his own people. And if God doesn't intervene, David would begin to kill his own people. When you give in to your flesh, when you give in to Satan at any point in your life, you're going to have immediate relief from the pressure. And you're going to go away saying, what was that minister talking about, about fighting the good fight? I don't need to do that. I don't need this brain damage. So much easier on this side. Yeah, it is. But at what cost? I have peace now. No more conflict. But here's the thing. God has not called any any one of you to a conflict-free life. He just hasn't. He hasn't. There's a battle. It's not against flesh and blood. We don't have any inkling here in chapter 27. We don't even see it until later on in chapter, I think it is, 30, that all of a sudden we see David inquire of the Lord. Until then, we, we, we don't see David inquiring of the Lord. Why? Because he's making his own decisions. Let nothing ever separate
0: us. Well, that's all we have time for today on this Wednesday edition of Abiding in the Word with Pastor Dave Love. Tune in tomorrow as we continue our study in 1 Samuel. If you live in the area of Castle Rock and are looking for a church to call home, be sure to come by and visit with us. We meet Saturdays at 5 p.m. and our Sunday service times are at 9 and 11 a.m. A combined junior and senior high class meets at 5 p.m. on Saturday evenings, On Sunday mornings, high school meets during the 9 a.m. service and the junior high meets at the 11 a.m. service. Our Young Adults Ministry, Arise, meets every Friday at 6.30 p.m. at Calvary Castle Rock. Childcare is offered for all of our weekend services. Calvary Castle Rock is located right off of I-25 and East Wolfensburger Road, directly behind Jack in the Box and the Shell Gas Station. For more information about us or this radio ministry, please visit our website at calvarycr.com or download our free mobile app from the Apple App Store or Google Play. You can also call the church office at 303-663-2514. Thank you again for joining us today. Until our next time together, we want to encourage you to always be abiding in the Word of God.